Welcome to Network Neighborhood, where we talk to folks in the IT industry about being human. And today, we talk to Dana Iskolsky, Corporate Communications Manager at Blue Cat Networks. So first of all, Dana, how did I do in your last name? Pretty close? Perfect. I was just going to ask you about that before we started recording, actually. <laughs> There's a trick that most people love to hear. And once they do, they never forget my last name. Pretend it is cold and you're skiing, and you're never going to forget my life. <laughs> I, I used my my phonics training from when I was a, a, a young young lad, and they taught me to read to break up the words and so on. Is Koldsky looked looked right? So good, glad Very I got it. Yeah. Well, Dana, introduce yourself to the people listening to this episode. Uh, who are you, and what do you do? Hi, everyone. I am Blue Cat's corporate communications manager, and what that means, and I'm still trying to figure out part of that myself, is. I help Blue Cat make friends in our industry. What that looks like is, or what that translates to is a bit of PR, a little bit of influencer relationship management, a little bit of analyst relationship management, a couple of press releases, and mostly just trying to figure out where are you folks, what do you care about, and how can we talk to you in a way that's relevant to you? So you say you folks, and when you're talking to me and like the Packet Pushers audience, you're thinking yeah. like engineers, practitioners, people with their fingers in technology? Everyone. So the people that Blue Cat touches is network engineers, uh, network administrators, but then all the way up to the senior technology level, leadership okay. level. So anyone there, uh, we have conversations with them anyway through whether that's a sales cycle or our solution process. So getting into a little bit more of a non-salesy conversation is always nice. So, okay. So corporate communications manager, is that a way to say marketing without saying marketing? Kind of, not always. So corporate communication sounds like this very uh, defined title. And when you actually look into what corporate communications people do, it varies. The same way that I used to think the marketing was one specific thing. And again, there's all these different aspects and components and goals to it. So you can look at corporate communications from an external point of view. So that's like the the PR, the analyst relations, the press releases that you do, social media, that kind of stuff. But corporate communication also looks at internally as yeah. well. So how is it that you keep a couple hundred people to a couple thousands of people or tens of thousands of people on the same page about where a company is going? So that's corporate comms. And you basically take it whichever way your company, whichever way that your company thinks they need. So that's interesting. You just brought up two aspects of it. I always think about the external aspect because in my role at Packet Pushers, that's what I have to deal right. with. I, I am on the external side and I'm helping, in, in many cases, marketing folks uh, share their message out to folks in, in that external way. Um, but the mm-hmm. internal stuff does come up every once in a while for me. But I, again, I don't usually think about it. But in your role, you've got to do both. You've got to help those people that are going to consume your product or buy your product understand what it is that you do. But also internally, you've got a lot of employees. As you said, everyone needs to be on the same page. And something, so right now my role is a bit of a hybrid. There's in large organizations, you'll see people dedicated to external comms and people dedicated to internal comms. The way that my role is structured right now is I sit underneath the marketing team because that's initially who I got hired under. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I got shared basically with the people team. And so what that looks like is most of my time or about three-fifths of my time is spent on external comms. And then two-fifths of my time is spent on doing stuff like running and ask me anything in our Slack channel to make sure that if there's information that our employees want, mm-hmm. how is it that they can get it from senior leadership? 
or it's making sure that we show up to events in our community because that's important from a hiring perspective, a morale perspective, a feeling like we're in touch with where we are perspective. Hmm. So speaking of events, there was a, an event that would have been external to Blue Cat, uh, but it was a Tech Field Day event that I happened yeah. to be at. That is where I first met you. What was your role at that event? So I should probably take a couple steps back and talk about how I started at Blue Cat because this will make a little bit more sense. Excellent. So I started on the marketing team mm-hmm. in a role that was basically a demand generation role. What that means is me as a marketer, or the particular kind of marketer that I am, run campaigns that are meant to start conversations between potential buyers, prospects, and um, us. So what demand gen or the way that demand gen typically works and the way that it's measured is through leads. So say you went to a trade show and you talked to someone at a booth Uh and they told you about their great new technology and you said, Hey, you know what? I'm interested. That is a win from a demand generation perspective. And say you want to continue the conversation, they connect you with someone on a sales team, for example. So in that demand gen that you just described right there, that was a more of a qualified lead. It wasn't just a simple badge scan. It was a, a conversation that made you think this is someone qualified. We really need to talk to them. Yeah, this isn't yeah. just someone stopped by and got a t-shirt because right. at the end of the day, you've only got so many resources and you've only got so much energy. So let's talk to people who actually care about talking to us. Mm-hmm. And so I started on a team like that. And then somewhere along the way, we we had a PR agency, but we had to let them go. It, it wasn't quite working out. And what was great about that was I saw, okay, so no one's really talking to press. No one's really reaching out to journalists to help them with their stories. If they're looking for something network related, let me try this out. Mm -hmm. And in the networking industry and the IT industry, um, and I'm sure you'll attest to this, it's a little bit tricky to strike a balance between getting your name out there but being valuable and actually giving people what they're looking for as opposed to just saying, hey, look at me. It, it depends on the audience for sure yeah. um, that you're trying to reach. Because if you want to reach someone like uh, like me or more of an engineering-focused person, that's one style of information that you're sharing and type of information you're sharing versus someone at a C-level that's maybe looking for more value prop solution-oriented kind of discussions. Um, so they're different, they're, you know, they're different animals. And reaching those people in a way that is meaningful to them Mm-hmm. Especially engineer types, man. It's just it's a bunch of skeptics, a bunch of cynics. But I think a lot healthy of times. skeptics because, of, and I think we're going to get into this too at some point. It's like you need to know when someone's telling you something that's truly important, and mm. when someone's just sort of running through the news cycle, mm. just because. And the news cycle just because is not valuable a lot of times. The information that is released is, it was time for me to make some noise. So this is all I had to make noise about, whether it was particularly engaging or not. So, okay, let's have, not... You have enough to do anyway, right? So well, I get why you're skeptical. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so oh, I didn't right, want so, to derail you yeah. too far from the story. Yeah, keep going. So the way that the story progressed is I picked that up and then had to go back to school to finish my degree. And when I went back to school, my boss basically said, so all this stuff's just going to stop happening. The conversations with people who actually care about learning what it is that we do and care about getting some IT knowledge or something like that from us, it's just, it's all going to stop. And I said, well, no, I'd love to have a part-time job doing this stuff. So the way that you and I met was I was managing just plainly Blue Cat's PR program at the time because I went down about 10 hours a week and signed us up for Tech Field Day. And we Uh actually met Tom... Uh I found out about Network Nerd and his entire Tech Field Day organization through Twitter. Love Twitter. Um, 
and then reached out to him. He met us at Cisco Live. And sure. from there, we just, we signed up for Tech Field Day and that's how you and I met. Got it. Okay. So at that job then, or at, on that, at that Tech Field Day event, whichever one it might've been, uh, probably a networking field day, something or another. Um, yes, it was. I was introduced to you at that point. You weren't, you weren't the corporate comms manager. You were the no. social media manager or something to that effect, I think. Yeah, I ran PR, so I was a PR manager, but more a consultant capacity, but that was just an internal name. So what were you trying to get done at that event? What were you monitoring? I saw you back there on the side, you know, facing an iPad or a laptop, maybe. Were you, like, looking at tweets? Were you, what were you doing? So much tweets. Yeah, um, so much <laughs> Twitter, I should say. Uh, good grammar. So what I was looking at my metrics and these aren't by any means, uh, very robust, uh, especially cause it's a small team. It's me doing this stuff, um, was mostly if we're mentioned somewhere, whether that's in a blog or on Twitter, write it down. Um, because that means that it's not just us talking about ourselves. It's coming from someone else who might think that we're, we can contribute in some way, shape or form. Sure. So what I was doing at tech field day was just interacting as much as I could with you guys. Cause you guys were all also on Twitter. Mm-hmm. We were going back and forth basically throughout the time that the presentation was happening. So, okay. So let's jump from that where you have a specific event and you're trying to take some measurements. Let, let's, let's mm-hmm. back out uh, a little bit. So in a given month, do you have de- deliverables? Do you have someone that's expecting, you know, the, the monthly Dana report of numbers or something like that? So there's actually a quarterly report that I email out to everyone at Blue Cat, so they don't have a choice in seeing it or not, is basically where we've been mentioned, where we contributed, where we have participated somehow in the community, whether that's a quote in Network World or whether that's a podcast appearance or mm-hmm. that's an event that we all attended in Toronto. Uh, that's a report that I sent out. I don't have particular numbers tied to it yet because it's still a fairly new program that we're running at Blue Cat, so we we don't even know what to expect, nor should we aim for something too astronomically high because then you're kind of optimizing for the wrong thing potentially. Hmm. And yeah, so it's it's basically, it's mentioned, it's anywhere that we've contributed, any organizations that we've joined or people that we've mentored through maybe events in Toronto, stuff like that. Right. So it's not like you've got a boss that's saying, here's your metrics, Dana, deliver. But you are trying to measure, you know, get some sense of, uh, on some aspect, it's money invested. Like you you don't show up at a tech field day or, or on a sponsored Packet Pushers podcast for free. There's an investment that you're making there. I mean, um, even just my salary is an investment in it, this and, and program, so, right? yeah. and so you do need to demonstrate value back to the company for what you're doing in this form. Mm-hmm. But it, it is interesting what you're me- mentioning here. There aren't these hard and firm industry recognized metrics that everybody agrees upon, and this is how you know success or failure. It it feels like in the this changing world of social media and old school journalism and 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 dead trees showing up in your mailbox every week with the latest news, all of that's gone. So how do you measure that success? Is It's it's a big question. It's uh, not straightforward. It's So I love my job, but the one thing that gives me so much anxiety is that, that exact thing that you can't bottle up the value of a reputation. You can't point to it in some systema, systematized way. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't... Uh, tie something. Okay, great. So we've got impressions that we got, which is a traditional PR school, I'm pretty sure. Yep. What does that tell you? What does that mean? 
right? So more is not always better. And you're always striking this balance between meaningfulness and more. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, there's that, but then there's this, this almost chasm or divide between that and your company's revenue. And so all you can do really is, or at least the way that I've seen, that's a little bit calming when I hear it, that people say is look at the trend lines. The more you participate in the community, the the better your company does. Okay, great. It's just, you trust that it's the right thing to do and you go with that and you trust that the the rest takes care of itself. It's hard to make a direct correlation, but you can make a few assumptions that if we engage people in this way, if we engage the humans in this way, the humans are going to react in a way that will drive those trend lines. But you can't say, I did this and then this happened, or this person read this article that was published or listened to this podcast and then they bought this thing. Sometimes you can, but a lot of times that's a little more anecdotal or maybe it depends on you had a a good ingress form that someone happened to check a box on and you were able to make a correlation. A lot of times it is what you're saying. It's more trend oriented. Yeah. And you trust that the people around you understand that and don't hold you to those direct metrics that are really hard to prove mm-hmm. anyway. Well, it's funny. So coming from the side of a person who is digesting a lot of press releases that come into my inbox every day, um, there are still companies out there that a new some person will PR person will discover me or the company of packet pushers uh, Drew or Greg that I work with and I've never heard of this company before. How have I never heard of this company before? I've been in this space for almost ten years now and yet there's new and they're not a startup. You know, they've been around for for years and my point being. Some companies make the effort to get their name out there in front of people, and some companies they don't seem to emphasize that very much. Maybe they're just you know riding on existing company or uh, customers. I'm not sure what the difference is, but there's a big difference between companies making the effort and don't. If I don't hear about you, I don't know about you. There's nothing for me to talk about or think about. And as much as you wish that relationships were built organ- organically, you mm-hmm. kind of have to realize that you have to put effort in and. On a personal level, that looks like you reaching out and scheduling coffees with people and getting to know them. On an organizational level, you need to put a little bit more organization, put a person behind it, yep. put some money behind it. And that's just that's just the way that it is. It is a balance. The human aspect of it, I think, is underestimated by a lot of what I speculate are older, old school PR folks where they think... Nerd news is a thing, so what I'm going to do is put this news bite into a, an email slam and just you know slam it out there, and I'm going to hit all these people, and a bunch of people are going to report because that's how it works, right? I don't know this PR person. I've not heard of the company. The story is, eh, or maybe the press release is badly written, and so it's not clear to me in the first couple of paragraphs what the news actually is. And I'm busy. I gotta, I gotta move it on. You know, I, if I can't figure it out quickly and determine if it's going to be of value to the people that listen to our podcast network, I'll just skip it because there's ten more press releases right behind that one that I also need to digest. The my bigger point there though is the human relationship is the part that I think a lot of folks. It's like I don't know you. We've never met. Why are you expecting me to react to this? I don't know who you are. Um, as opposed to a number of other PR folks that have taken the time to meet with us, build a relationship, understand our organization. What kind of press releases do you want me to send you? What kind of things are you more going to be interested in and react to as opposed to just hammer, 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 hit the inboxes hard? 
Can we back it up to where you said that the PR people who do well take the time to get to know you a little bit better? What does that look like? What does that first touch look like that makes you think, oh, you know what, let me just delete this in, uh, this email versus, okay, no, let's read it. Okay, this is an actual person behind the email. Two ways. Um, one is is the in-person stuff. So, you know, for example, I was able to actually chat with you at this Tech Field Day event as a human being you know, and figure out who you are and you were the social media person. And I think when I figured out what your title was on like the spec sheet that was in front of me, I'm like, okay, I should understand who Dana is. And we had a conversation that made me comfortable with who you are and what you were trying to accomplish. Um, now. But again, work- that to interrupt you, that meant that I had to put myself in a position where we happened to be in the same room together. That didn't it, just happen. Organically. Exactly. That was a somewhat unusual circumstance, right? So, you know, so that what happens more often um, for, with these successful intros is someone will introduce themselves in email and say, Hey, I am so-and-so I represent this company and maybe these three other companies. I think your organization is a good match for who I represent can we talk? I want to understand you guys and how you work, your new media. Let's spend some time together and figure that out. Can we meet? Um, and But that is 5%, 10% you know, of new intros, I, I would say. Um, but what do you happens, take the time to meet when they ask for that? Or absolutely. Do you that? Okay. I, I, I want those folks to understand how we work, and I want to have the chance to hear news. I, I look at my job as... Um, uh, kind of a broker for, for, for news. I want to mm-hmm. percolate things yeah. up to the engineering community that might be interesting to those people. So I definitely want to hear the good news um, or useful news. And I want, therefore, the folks to understand the kind of news that makes sense um, uh, for us. So when people reach out and take the time and say, hey, can we meet? We always do. It shit happens so rarely. Um, normally what happens is just someone I've never heard of representing a company I'm not familiar with sends me a, the, the form letter, the email blast. And I will look at it, um, but there's no there's no relationship there. And I'm much more likely to just dismiss it. Is that, does that make sense? Yeah, that answers the question for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about social media for a bit, Dana. Um, social media is criticized a, a lot lately in in a lot of different venues. So, you know, Facebook constantly criticized. Um, I don't know if you can call Google social media anymore, but certainly as a big company, they've been beat up on. Twitter's come under a lot of fire lately, mm-hmm. uh, but yet social media has some kind of a role to play in the world of marketing. How, how do you see that role? Social media, yes, it uses you. But hopefully you're not the chump in the situation and you're only giving it as much information as is important and useful for you to give. What does that look like? If I'm using Twitter, for example, and I'm posting stuff about my personal life, okay, what's the point of that? Maybe it's to keep my network updated. Okay, great, Mm -hmm. fine. Then at least there's a purpose to this. Um, From a professional sense, it's super useful. And there's a lot of data on Twitter that it's not only that they use it, but I use it. So for example, I learn about cool people who run cool podcasts or cool blogs or who genuinely just help people around them on Twitter. So I can't say that it's a bad thing. So so I want to qualify that a little bit. Now, Twitter offers Twitter analytics where you could see reactions to your tweets and impressions and all that kind of stuff. So that's one aspect of it. But it sounds like you're talking about a little more organically where because of mm-hmm. hashtags or at mentions, you can kind of dig around and find new profiles and people. Is that more how you're using it? 
that's more how I'm using it. I look at uh, who people that I follow are interacting with because most likely if we're in the same network or we're, you know, two degrees of separation from each other, then most likely we're relevant to each other as well. Um, but from the Twitter analytics perspective, just take it with a grain of salt because again, they're going to give you stats like impressions. They're going to give you stats like who your top follower is. And it's, there's this quote that's like, there's lies, there's damn line, there's, there's lies, damn lies in statistics. Uh-huh. And they're just, they're choosing numbers to present to you that don't necessarily mean something. So take them with a grain of salt. For sure. Um, okay. Now, so for people who are like, dang, people like Dana are stalking me and finding out I'm helpful in the community. And then she's going to target me, qualify what you when you find a cool person, podcast, blog, a helpful individual, what, mm-hmm. what is that? What do you do with that? What do I do? I find their email and I email Blossom. No, I'm kidding. Right. <laughs> um, I look at them. I see what they're all about. I try to understand how's it that they run their blog? What do they write about? What do they like to write about? Um, who do they like to talk to and partner with for that content? And if I think that there's an opportunity for me to be able to um, contribute. So for example, um, I didn't know about Ned who runs day two cloud mm-hmm. through your network. Actually, I didn't know yes. about him for a while, but then I think I found out about it because you had retweeted or you had posted something. I think that's how it exactly. happened. Yeah. Yeah. And I reached out to him. I was like, Hey, what you do is really cool. I see you interview people. And then I hopped on a call with him and I asked him about what he's up to. He had recently just gone off on his own to focus on the, the writing and the podcast full time. So I said, Hey, if you're interested, I know someone who might make a great guest on your podcast. And I genuinely think so. This isn't someone who I'm mm-hmm. going to put on there to talk about Blue Cat. Um, would you be interested? And he was open to it because mm-hmm. this is something he's looking for anyway. Yes. So that that's kind of how it works is I, I find spaces where I can help someone out too, or I can be mm-hmm. of some use. And then who knows where the relationship goes from there. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. And you end up scouting a lot of the same way I scout uh, on Twitter. I look at at mentions, I discover people, I look at their profile. Oh, they're, they work for this company. And I, I use lists heavily. I don't follow very many people on Twitter, but I use lists very heavily. So people that are in media, people that are, I call them insiders. I have an insiders list, which are people that actually work in the industry. And I have indies, my indies list, people that are independent. You get different perspectives and know kind of how to think about what they're saying and so on for that information. And, and it's useful in community building and understanding um, who's connected to who and who's sharing and who's community minded. And all of that is, is it's just helpful. Absolutely. And so what does your process look like? Because I think yours is probably more built out than mine in this case. I just scroll through my Twitter feed and whatever happens, happens. So it's, it's nothing predictable. Um, so Twitter and I have a, have an awkward, strained relationship at the moment. Um, and it goes back to something you were saying earlier about how people use Twitter, uh, personally. So some people don't distinguish between their engineering content and their personal content, and they may be there heavily political, or maybe they're very upset about something going on in the world. And there seems to be no lack of things for people to get wound up about these days and then tweet about it. Um, And so in in some sense, Twitter has a declining value because of that, because the signal to noise ratio has become, you know, a bit oppressive. Content firehose, yeah. Yeah, it's been been difficult to to find the value there. Um, So so what has happened over time is I have ended up using Twitter in, in a couple of ways. One is there are people that follow me presumably because they want to keep up with something in in my world that has been I've written or recorded or or I think is good or I want to share uh with people 
because I'm whatever I am, a, a personality. I don't know what you would call that. I'm an influencer, right? That's, that's How that's, weird does that feel to be called that, by the way? <laughs> eh, it's a term, whatever. Um, it's fine. But I'm trying to think through what is helpful or engaging to people that, that want to follow me. I'll share that kind of stuff. And then the other is just what are people uh, talking about from an engineering perspective when they're not talking politics and they are actually talking about engineering because that's why I uh, am following them to begin with. What is the topic of, of conversation? Is it difficulties with public cloud networking? Is it I'm trying to figure out this Kubernetes thing? Is it I'm about to deploy Leaf Spine and I've got some questions about um, you know OSPF or BGP or something? You know, what, what is it that people are discussing? Um, lately it's been a lot of network automation, you know, people that are, I'm, I'm working on Ansible and, um, I just wrote this blog post or, you know, it's things like that. Um, that helps me keep up with what's top of mind. I mean, I might know what, you know, I'm working on in networking or what someone I'm consulting with is working on, but to have a broader perspective in the bigger world is, uh, is very helpful. So I, I guess it's like trends, but it's like eyeball trends. I'm not doing hard data mining, if that makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. I don't think it's possible on Twitter. I don't it's know. two piecemeal. No, we, we've but talked the little about bits and pieces. I yeah. found useful Yeah, and educational. Like, so I felt this is my first sort of technical job where I had to learn about networking and what the cloud is. Like I, I had no <laughs> idea before I started working at Blue Cat and Twitter, actually, just watching some of the conversations and how they play out, or especially the InfoSec conversations where people make mm-hmm. some sort of joke about how they thought that, or how most people think that something is the holy grail of cybersecurity, which it never is. Um, I actually kind of learned a little bit and picked up a little bit about um, what the industry was. So as a starter mm-hmm. boot camp kind of thing, also pretty cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, we've been talking about Twitter. Uh, yeah. Do you have any social media channels aside from Twitter that you think are valuable? LinkedIn, I yeah. love because it, it, A, lets me keep up with my professional network and vice versa. Uh-huh. So it, it's the place where you're designated to go to, to talk about your career, where sometimes when you're with your friends, you feel like maybe that's a little bit braggy or that's a little bit not irrelevant to what you guys are talking about when they're talking about something personal, but you just had this really cool thing happen that you did at work. So I use LinkedIn is... <laughs> the short version of that, but nothing else really on the social media front, just those two. It's the same. Um, you know, LinkedIn also works for us at Packet Pushers. Uh, we have noted that a lot of people at work are allowed to use LinkedIn and maybe aren't allowed via their company's policy to use anything else. They couldn't get to Facebook from work if they wanted to, but yet this is more of a, of a work and professional oriented material that we share. Mm-hmm. Um, and so LinkedIn's made a lot of sense along with Twitter. That's the other place we are, but Facebook, eh, I think we have an account that we cross post to, but that's not a place we invest a lot of time in. Look, Facebook can be useful for you depending on the kind of business that you are. So one of the places that I worked at before, I was giving a lot of career advice to students and students are not on LinkedIn as much as they really should be. Uh, Facebook is where they are quite heavily. And so mm-hmm. for that company, Facebook strategy made a lot of sense. But I don't think that it does for what we do. Hmm. So, okay. So Twitter and LinkedIn, um, we're not dealing with Facebook too much, either of mm-hmm. us. Are there other tools that you use to help you manage your Twitter and LinkedIn presence or replies or any of that? Uh, Hootsuite's nice because you can schedule posts in advance and then forget about them. Mm-hmm. And they just go live for you. I think there's a couple other tools that you can probably use for that. Co-schedule is a good one as well. You can integrate that with your WordPress if you run a blog. 
Uh, you can use TweetDeck to monitor a bunch of different things all at once. And Twitter actually runs that one. But other than that, I'm, I'm as much as I work yeah. at a technology company, I'm still fairly basic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, pretty similar. Um, uh, Buffer, uh, that's the one I use for scheduling, although they've had some interface changes lately and the, the jury's still out on whether whether the community <laughs> likes the Buffer interface changes. But Buffer's <laughs> the one I use for scheduling, uh, for sure. Uh, Hootsuite, I haven't gotten into. Um, I do check into Twitter analytics now and again. Um, you know, Buffer is big. Like if I... Like recently, we had uh, have had some events. Like over the course of the year, we did some virtual design clinics. We'll schedule a bunch of tweets to go out just to let people know, hey, this event is happening. We'd like you to participate, register here kind of thing. And we'll put in some some pictures. I, I have a propensity for for kittens and cats that uh, <laughs> that accompany thing. Not because they ha- the cat has much to do with the tweet necessarily, but because it catches your eye. Aw, cute kitty. Yeah. And then I'm hoping that it'll stand out a little bit from the noise then um, – you get people to, it's so difficult to get someone's attention. Um, and that's a really big thing is um, whether that's a preview photo or the headline of an article or uh, whatever it is, that's the first impression of that piece of content that you're posting yeah. is so vital to anyone even getting over that hump and actually reading the great thing that you spent hours writing. So I used <laughs> to hate this at the last company I worked at, but yeah. you would write this article about... Um, how to make career friends at work and how networking is not actually so scary for students, right? And you pour all this time into it. You interview someone who's a subject matter expert in it. It's great content. It's useful. It's helpful. No one gives a because they're a student. Um, Student, like unless you put something captivating in the headline and the preview image, no one's going to care. And that's the thing that takes you an hour sometimes to find the right one. We we have struggled with that as well. Um, From our standpoint, we'll uh, just as you said, it'll take us hours to put something together. It'll be a podcast interview. It'll be some heavily researched bit of written content that'll have diagrams and and you know and and deep analysis, something we've thought a lot about. But even from within our own network, we're putting out so much content. That's one of the complaints we get from folks is that there's simply too much for them to digest that we're putting out the door. Getting a properly catchy headline or appropriately worded headline so that people know, oh, this is something that's going to maybe solve a problem I have. I really want to make sure I listen to that. It's hard to get it to stand out because you're not competing. I mean, we're competing almost with ourselves. We've got so much content going out the door. But then there's everyone else that they're subscribed to as well. And there's YouTube. And sometimes people just want to go home and watch Netflix, you know, so you're competing with that as well. Um, People's schedules are busy and it's hard to get things to stand out that you know is good. If someone listens to this, man, I had this great interview with thus and such an engineer who really knew a deep, deep amount of, uh, about this particular topic and and really shared openly. And and how do you get them to a point where people are going to, to listen to it and benefit from that content? It's, it's hard. Um, we've gone to trying to have catchy wording uh, and so on, but there's no, I mean, you end up campy and corny if you push that too hard, so... And there's two avenues I want to go down here. One is that's basically marketing. There's your company does this great, amazing thing, but no one knows about it because you didn't do the right path. Like you didn't package it right. You didn't present it right. You didn't make people want to learn more. That's A. Um, And B, that's a little bit why social media is being hit on a lot right now because headlines, and this is news in general, headlines keep getting more extreme to keep you clicking. 
Yes. <laughs> right. It's like, look, you're going to like this content, but you have to get into it first. So let me make the headline as extreme as possible. So you want to click it. And then hopefully you find value in the actual piece of content that you read. But uh, that's a huge problem in the news right now too, that people are talking about. Well, and especially for an engineering crowd that is more of a black and white sort of audience and has an expectation that what I see in the title is what I'm going to get You know, when I listen to this. So you don't want to overpromise or misleadingly promise in the headline and then not deliver when the person actually consumes the content. You but want you don't them have to the get... space to give all the nuances and all the usually this, but then this. And if you have this, then maybe not. You can't write a 50-word title. It doesn't make its way through social. It doesn't make its way through RSS. You've got to be concise and yet accurate in what's being promised. Very difficult. So I don't know if you can include this, but I was at VMworld last week and uh-huh the opening keynotes were all beautiful and they had these beautiful demos of how their technology could work in a perfect world for, you know, Tanzu Tees, which is the company example that they gave. And I turned to the guy next to me, I'm like, these demos are beautiful. And I'm a non-technical person, so I don't usually see what the inside interfaces of things look like. And I said, does it actually work like that? And he goes, "Uh, no, Um, look, it's powerful and it's great. And we got this, I can't remember what the product was that they got, but they had to rip it out because they didn't implement it right or they didn't deploy it right. So they had to redo it. Mm. And so these pretty things, because again, you're trying to show people the art of what's possible, um, usually don't include all the little details. I remember having a conversation with someone uh, at at a big conference. I don't remember if it was VMworld or something else, but I hadn't actually gone to the keynote and there was another uh, journalist behind who was like, you, you're not going to go to the keynote? And I'm like, eh, have you ever gotten any information from the keynote that you thought was actually, you know, worthy of your attention and doing a lot of writing about? And he's like, oh, no, I haven't. <laughs> because of that experience, exactly what you described, where the keynote is this perfect world scenario and it's lovely. And, and in, in the right circumstances, maybe that would work. But for most people, it doesn't end up working that way. And so it's the primer and it shows you where they're going and what the vision is. Um, it's like when you're starting a blog and you're downloading a WordPress template. If, you've, if anyone listening has ever had that experience mm-hmm. where um, it's, it's made for you really nicely when you're looking at all these different templates and there's all these example setups for it. You think this is going to be great. It's going to be amazing. And then you download it and then you realize you have to fill it with your own content. And it's so hard to get it to look exactly the way that it did or it mm-hmm. takes a long time. Yep. So it's just... Much. But it's it's not, I wouldn't say it's a lie. It's just, here's what's possible. But you have to know and you have to take it with a disclaimer just naturally that it's going to take work and it's going to be hard and, it's, and results may vary. So uh, I want to go on a variant here. Um, there are vendors who have champion style programs. So, I mean, the keynote mm-hmm. is one sort of raw, raw champion, you know, kind of a thing because you expect them to get up there and... It's going mm-hmm. to be all all cheerleading. But the champion programs that are out there, I mean, Cisco's actually is called Cisco Champions, and there's several similar ones. Uh, the vendor's creating an army of influencers. Um, is that valuable, do you think? Should vendors keep going down that road of these sort of programs? Depends how you're creating that army of influencers, if it's genuine or if it's here, I'll pay you money, and you say great things about us and don't say anything bad. Uh, what I love to see is when users, genuine users talk about both the good and the bad things in a vendor solution and they help each other figure out the problems with it. And they happen to have these conversations publicly. That's what I think is great. I think there's absolute value. And it's one of the last companies I worked at. Again, I'm, I'm a marketing month. So I worked at a bunch of different places, but, um, was a company that did advocate marketing. 
which is all based on the premise that your customers are your best salespeople. So the people Mm -hmm. who use your product, who know it intimately, who have gone through both the great, wonderful highs and also the oh moments, those are the people who are so valuable because they're genuine, they're honest. They have skin in the game in a way that you don't when you talk about your product and they can give recommendations about whether something might be right for another potential customer or not. So absolutely valuable, depends on how you make it genuine or not. Um, And it's really hard to mobilize. To get that done is actually hard. Okay, so so two things there that's worth exploring. One, you, you you've mentioned repeatedly the word genuine. So I am familiar with both approaches. One is you build build the program that is essentially a platform so that people that are your advocates, your your biggest fans, if you will, can talk in an honest way about what works, what doesn't work, and you know there you go. Uh, but it is truly you know honest, even though it's your URL at the top, your company, you're hosting the platform. Um, you allow that good and bad to come out. But I have also seen where, hey, you once said something a little bit bad about us, so we're excommunicating you. We don't want you to you know, talk anymore. And I have also seen some vendors that try to micromanage the conversations in that way. And you were you were shaking your head vigorously no when yeah. I started describing that. Look, if you stop someone from saying something publicly on your own domain or in your own comment forum, and again, assuming this was a comment that was made in a thoughtful way, it yes. it expressed coherently what it was that was the problem. And maybe there was even, you know, a hint at what the desired solution would be. That's great. If you don't let someone say that um on a domain that you host, they're gonna say it on Reddit. They're gonna say it over drinks with someone like the truth is the truth. Yep. 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 You got it exactly right. Um, but the, uh, the so yay to the, to the first type of champion program where right. you just, you let people have a voice and nay, huge nay to the one where you're micromanaging a conversation and you're basically well, puppet talking through someone else. Oh, and there, there is a third one that's kind of like, I guess, I guess what you're saying there where it's less about platform and interacting community members with each other, but more about, Hey, you're uh, thus and such a champion cheerleader flag waver for us. Here's more or less a press release, and we want you to share with your followers this news, and we will get suggested tweets. The thing I love to make fun of the most are suggested tweets. <laughs> Look, I love suggested tweets because they give someone the the reason that I give people suggested tweets, and usually this is internally when say a blog post comes out or a press release comes out, is because people are tired and they're just mentally exhausted. And coming up with something net new to post is hard. But sure. as long as they have something, editing it is easier than creating something new. So that that's my little spiel on suggested mm-hmm. tweets. I'm a fan, but more because they spark action, not necessarily because I want someone to word for word post what I say. <laughs> So, so there's a few times I can tell some internal suggested tweet happened because oh, yeah. we'll, we'll oh, do yeah. a podcast with a vendor or something, and then I'll see 50 tweets that are identical, and I start clicking through, and it's like, oh, all these people work for that organization. Interesting. And context matters, and what I suggest, for example, to everyone at Blue Cat to post, which, again, people choose whether or not they want to post, but the context matters. Like They know their audience better than I do. There's no way that I can write something that would make sense for everyone. But as long as I gave them a suggestion of like what bullet points to hit, what might be important or interesting to their audience or their followers or their professional network, that's great. Hmm. If I can just help, basically. Hmm. I want to follow up on something you said earlier. You mentioned you were using some kind of a third party. It wasn't really working out and you, know, you changed some things. So do you typically do all of your marketing in-house or... or 
Do you engage with third parties maybe to build and deliver specific campaigns? How does how does that work? We do, I would say, 90% of our marketing in-house. So what we did before was have that PR agency helping us uh, pitch stories, but we realized that um, it's easier when for someone to do it when they're internal to the company, when they have access to all of our key subject matter experts and they're in touch with what's happening at the company. Because a lot of the times you're trying to insert yourself into conversations that happen quickly and they happen real time. And there's there's no time for a back and forth between you and your agency. The one thing that we did hire someone for, and we're quite happy with it, is help um, with our branding and the messaging. So if you notice, we switched from being the enterprise DNS company to the adaptive DNS company. Mm-hmm. And I know all the engineers out there are probably going to say, great, you switched a word out. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what they will say. We've absolutely made that joke internally too, even on our marketing team. But what we essentially tried to do is get out of our own heads and understand, okay, so we do this thing. Here's who we help. Here's how we help it. Here's how we help them. But we felt like we weren't able to articulate it as well as we could when we were the enterprise DNS company. So we went through this exercise basically where we brought someone external in to look at us with a slightly less... Um, drinking the Kool-Aid kind of perspective Mm -hmm. and talk to our customers and talk to people internally and understand and distill what it is that we do. And so that's how Adaptive DNS came about. And so that's it, something it, it that wasn't we're just glad you guys. Okay, you you weren't just. That's interesting because um, sometimes we wonder. We see press releases. We see wording changes. I once got a press release that a web uh, that a, a a vendor's website had changed their color theme. That actually happened. Um, but we go okay. So everybody sat around in a conference room, threw things on a whiteboard, and and a word popped out, and they decided to build a campaign around. But but in this case, you're saying no, actually. There was research done. There was an inve- kind of an investigation done with mm-hmm. the customers to figure out how are we perceived? What are we really delivering here? And what's a better way? What's a better set of phrases to, to, to build around that more accurately communicates what we do? And you can take the perspective that enterprise DNS company, adaptive DNS company doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, words and connotation matter, especially when someone is trying to explain to someone else what we do. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the the motivation behind it, and yeah, I guess hmm. there was research behind it. If that helps, well, it's it's funny, you know. I'll just validate that, you know. Although I don't immediately know what adaptive DNS would mean, I can say I know what I think enterprise DNS means, and it means oh, you make DNS servers hmm. or big companies, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. It probably scales well and probably integrates with Active Directory and directory and and big whoop de doo yeah. you say adaptive DNS, I go, okay, I don't know immediately what they're trying to say with that choice of words, but they're trying to do something different. They're trying to let me know that that, that what their DNS service is is something else. And of course I'm I'm very familiar with you guys. So I mm-hmm. I have a, I do have a better sense of uh, of of what adaptive DNS might mean in that. But again, I wouldn't send you the press release and say here. Right. Yeah. Right. Like no world in which that is relevant to you or that should happen. Like if I want to explain to you and catch you up on what adaptive DNS is, and by the way, we've got a meeting tomorrow about it. Um, But again, we take the time, we unpack it. Um, I ask, okay, look, Ethan, you're probably going to realize that adaptive DNS is just a word switch and you're going to make fun of it. And so it's probably the rest of your audience, but what does it mean? (laughs) Does it actually matter to you? Do you care? Um, Here are the things that, you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is you have to catch the right people up 
in yeah. the way that is right for them. And that's, that's not sending a press release. That's having a conversation and actually getting your opinion and your feedback on, okay, well, does this make sense? Is it, does it actually add any meaning or not really? Now, I, engineers are very skeptical of marketing. We, we know this. And I'll give you an example here. Um, we will share a press release that we think is, is valuable and, and something worth paying attention to. But we'll get feedback from some people in our audience and say, basically, this came from marketing. This is useless. Why do I care about this? Don't give me this sort of information. Do you think that approach is uh, you know, is too skeptical on the whole? And if so, what message do you have for an engineer about marketing messages that come through? I think that's actually a really valid concern that if someone's saying this isn't valuable to me, then maybe it's too high level for them. Maybe mm-hmm. it's not technical enough. Maybe it's missing the context or the nuances that they need to actually be able to make or form any sort of opinion on it. So A, that's valid. B, in terms of being skeptical of marketing, if you're talking about just agendas and motivations, I'd say be as skeptical of marketing as you would be of a CTO or a CEO of a vendor's company, right? Everyone's got... Marketing's got the same goal as they do at the end of the day. Uh The difference is A, marketing is usually used to talking on a higher level. And so unpacking those details takes a little bit more conversation and a little bit more engagement on not just marketing's part, but on your part as someone reading that um, that press release. Uh, but maybe there should be a little bit more of a platform where people can get the information that they need, the more granular information they need. So if someone just assumes that marketing is exaggerating or lying or or whatever, that is perhaps not fair. Mm, okay, so here's what I'd say. Depends what kind of marketer you're looking at mm-hmm. because different marketing teams operate differently and some are very much okay exaggerating and doubling things in size and um, that's fine so long as I got their attention sort of thing. Um, there's other marketing teams that really try to not train their audience to discount everything they say because at the end of the day, that's not valuable for anyone. Um, but I think that we still end up falling into this this trap of, well, I need to make this sound awesome. Mm. So I think that assuming intentions are good, you're, you still might come across a little bit of um, exaggerated words or biased statements, but you just have to realize that that that's marketing's job. And that's, that's kind of the player that we are yeah. in the space. And what we do is start the conversation. Do you think there's a difference from vendor to vendor and how their marketing approaches that maybe comes down from, uh, from the CMO or the CEO even? Absolutely. And I couldn't point to specific vendors right now to tell you which is which, but absolutely it makes a difference if your VP of marketing is telling you, no, 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 you need this many leads and you need this many people scanned at your you know, event at your booth versus someone who says, okay, let's, let's think about reaching just the people who would actually be interested in talking to us. And I'm okay with lower numbers that look smaller in a PowerPoint presentation to our board, as long as that's quality. Quality versus quantity. And, and, and again, right. If you're being measured on raw numbers, you'll just have people leaning into the aisle, scanning every badge that walks by to get the numbers in, as opposed to and like, I don't want to ask you to share a press release from us that's just verbatim. That's, right. I think that's useless. Right, right. And if anything, that does more harm than good as opposed to, hey, we've got some updates. Let's catch you up. Let's get you more granular information and you do what you want with that, what, mm. with that information. 
I like the way you put it about it's a conversation starter. You know, marketing is in the position of starting that conversation. So you want to get people's attention enough that you can actually begin the conversation and then anticipate that the technical engineering-minded folks are going to begin in a technology world of, of qualifying the product. What does it really do? Okay, you caught my attention with the big words. Fine, great. Now let's put to that do. aside yeah. and, and now let's dig into what's really going on here. Yeah. So I was recently looking for an apartment, and this is relevant, uh, because you look at these photos of new places that you could potentially live in. And what my real estate agent told me when we came into one of these places and I said, oh, you know what? This is actually, this is pretty similar to the photos. It looks pretty accurate. And he said, yeah, the point isn't to make the photos look so good that when you show up to the place and look at it, you're disappointed. Hmm. And that's a little bit similar in marketing, I would say, is be as truthful as you can, get people's attention, and remember that what you're doing isn't a one-off. This is a start to a potentially long-term relationship. Just keep that in mind when you talk to people. Going back to your house analogy, you wouldn't you're going to take pictures of the best part of the house, not do it in such a way that it's over-exaggerated or, you know, right, that when you show up, it looks like something else. Or you use a lens that makes the place just look huge when in reality, you know what I mean? Like, there's all these distortions that you could add. You know, so 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 there's a there's a certain level of reality you're portraying. And on the other hand, you're not necessarily showing the crack in the foundation out back. You're not, you know, showing where, you know, the the the, the room that needs to be badly painted you know, and so on. You you want someone you to come in and look at the house, house. You do point that out because that might become a problem. That's right. Yeah, but that's not what you lead with. Yeah, it's no. not what. You, yeah, you do, your press release doesn't include the dot the one dot uh, bug reports. No, because right. unless you actually care about that and that's relevant to you, you don't need to know. Right. Right. Not from the perspective of hiding things, but just from the perspective. I should have said that, but just from the perspective of don't give people more information to digest than yeah. they might need. Do you think that engineers make incorrect assumptions about marketing folks? Mm-hmm. Um, the the favorite that I've got is that we pretty things up, that we're good with words. And yes, we are good with words. We can articulate things, but I think that there's probably a little bit more to it than that. So, so explain that. Well, it, so I will say that a lot of the press releases I get are very well written, although some of them are so well-written that they have become devoid of meaning. There's a few of them. It's like, I read these paragraphs three times. I still have no idea what they're trying to say. But the, but it's beautiful words. But anyway, um, so, okay, you pretty things up, but that there's more to it than that. What do you mean? So what I mean when I say that there's more to it than just we pretty things up, the way that I like to describe it is we do the thinking legwork or the trying to understand and get into people's heads. So when I'll give you a very concrete example, we've recently made some updates to our automation platform and there's all these new features and our engineering team's really excited about them. And we're doing a little bit of a press release around it. But the way that I'm getting information from the engineering side is there's this feature, this feature, this feature, this feature. And a lot of these features aren't necessarily, they're something that we're excited about and that they're a big deal. Some of these features might be something that isn't all that big a deal to the people reading this, or there's uh-huh. something that they really would have wanted to have a year ago uh-huh. <laughs> or something like that. Um, so trying to advocate for the reader um, and what they're thinking and what it is that um, they would care to know and filtering what information gets put into a press release based on that. Mm-hmm. not just based on what we care about because we just spent a lot of time doing it. I, I'm afraid I've beat up on a few Amazon uh, AWS press releases because of that. Oh, they just added that feature? It wasn't there from the beginning? Weird. 
Sometimes that's yeah. not something you want to say, mm. right? You just want to assume that it was already there because <laughs> calling out to it helps nobody. So it's not simply that you're walking in and, you know, making things shiny. There's more to your job than, than that. It would be a, one incorrect assumption there that you're trying to correct. Yes. And the other one is, I think some people think that the, the fanfare and a press release might not mean anything is the other sort of like who reads these things or the assumption or the, um, the interpretation that, you know, building the thing is important, talking about the thing less so. Um, and I think you don't realize how important it is to talk about what you do and bring people up to speed until you do something that you put a lot of time into and you know that could help people and nobody listens or no one cares. I'll just go back to a point I made earlier. If I haven't heard about a company or a product or, you know, a significant announcement, then I don't know it's there. There's a lot of companies that are out there making noise. There's a lot of companies that are thumping their chest about what they've done, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. If you don't market what you've done, then how is anybody going to know, you know, shy of your, your truest fans and your existing customers? If you're trying to get people to glom onto this new thing that you've done, you've got to talk about it. There's this, this no way around it, you know, especially in this world. So it, it's just everyone else is doing it and it's kind of game theory where if you're not, then you're falling way behind. Mm. So, okay. I th- well, I think maybe you're an exception to what I'm about to say here, Dana, but I, I think a lot of marketing is is measured on numbers, percentages, and so on. Um, but there are humans behind the numbers. So let, let's conclude with some thoughts on how marketers can, uh, quote unquote, keep it human. There are probably more opportunities than you would think to connect with the people who end up on the other side of your marketing, your email, your press release, your social media post. Uh, Try to connect with them. Try to get their opinion on it before you send something out. Involve someone in it. Uh, So if I'm sending out a press release or I'm writing a blog post and if I have the time, I try to loop you in. Or I, I'll try, and this is really hard. It does take effort and it adds time to whatever release timeline that you had. But if you can get someone's opinion on the inside, so for example, we've got a Slack channel with some of our customers on it. And we can ask them, hey, we're doing this thing. We're launching this ebook. Does this resonate? Is it valid? What do you think? Um, and I think the more we do that, the more we strike up conversations with people as opposed to talk at people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of being human. Yeah, it, it, it's a big part, and again, that um, you know that that fire and forget the email blast approach. Um, I don't think it works anymore. I think you've got to know the name, have some relationship with the person, because it builds trust. When you've got some trust there, it's much easier to have a conversation that seems based in genuineness and honesty, as opposed to "you're my amplifier." Say these words that I want you to say, you know, kind of thing. No, that's yeah. a person, and that person could at any point decide to say "screw you." <laughs> Yeah. Why am I, what, like, what's in it for me? Why do you keep using me like this? Right. Exactly. Well, Dana, this has been a great conversation. I've enjoyed this very much. I know you're, they're trying to kick you out of your conference room. So let's, uh, let, let's wrap here. Uh, and so before we go, do you have a, a blog, a book, a Twitter handle, anything else that you would care to promote? If you want to follow along to what I do, you can find me on Twitter at Dana is Skoldsky. Uh, pretend it is cold and you're skiing, but spell the cold with a K. Other than that, I'm actually excited to connect with you guys and see you there. See you on Twitter. 
Thank you for your time, Dana, and thank you for sharing uh, for folks some of the inside of what goes on with marketing and how all of that works. It's uh, it's genuinely helpful and it broadens out the community. Thanks for being on this episode of Network Neighborhood. Now, if you're listening, you want some show notes here, you can find them in your podcatcher over at packetpushers.net. And if you do go to packetpushers.net, you're going to discover over a thousand other episodes from across our podcast network for networking and infrastructure professionals. Uh, most of our shows, if you've never heard anything from Packet Pushers before, they're very technical. They're for engineers and IT pros. Uh, we have a community blog on packetpushers.net. We've got news feeds there. We've got a lot of things to help you keep up with the industry and uh, and really have good information for yourself and for your boss and for your coworkers. If you want to talk at us, tweet at Packet Pushers. We're on LinkedIn as well. And if you want to go even deeper down the rabbit hole, you can become a premium member at ignition.packetpushers.net.